All right, let's look to the scriptures. Go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and then I'm going to swing over to Proverbs 31. Continuing our series, Family Economics, last week on masculine men, this week on feminine women. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Genesis chapter 2. Verses 20 through 23, these are the words of God. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And Yahweh God fashioned the rib, which he had taken from the man into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Then the man said, This one finally is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, because, she, because this one was taken out of man. And Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31, verses 30 and 31. Charm is deceitful. And beauty is vain, but a woman who fears Yahweh shall be praised. Give to her from the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and gracious God, guide us, we ask, by your word and by your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> well, after his quest to finding an answer to the question, what is a woman? Daily Wire journalist Matt Walsh ended his documentary with his wife giving him the answer. I don't know if you've watched this or not, but you may recall this scene. Upon returning... From his documental adventures, she was in the kitchen making sandwiches because the patriarchy needs to eat. And when he asked her the question, what is a woman? She responded with this, an adult human female. She then handed him the pickle jar and finished the sentence, who needs help opening this? <laughs> now, I expect this from Walsh because he's committed to his Roman Catholic worldview. And the same, thing, uh, the same thing happened when he painfully talked with Joe Rogan about marriage. Rather than arguing from the authority of God and his word, Walsh argues from what we might say a bifurcated naturalistic assumption. For Walsh, the simple answer to defining a woman is an adult human female. That was where the whole documentary was going. What is a female? Nobody seems to know. Oh, it's just an adult you know, human female. Well, that implies that the answer is just a biological one. To be clear, uh, I don't agree with that answer. Um, to be clear, it's a reductionism. Um, I understand the, the need to expose the insanity of the frenetic sexual degenerates, um, but if it's not met with a biblical world and life view, then it is ultimately powerless. 
So reducing the definition of a woman down to mere biology misses the biblical vision for femininity, as we'll see. The Bible gives us a variety of dimensions when considering the topic of femininity. However, historically, just to give you a little bit of a, 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 an explanation, women didn't really have much of a, a priority. Uh, from, well, I'll tell you, for example, Plato believed that immoral men would be reincarnated as women. Uh, so implying that, you know, it's, it's a bad thing to be a woman. Uh, especially during the Greek, Greek and Roman Empire, the women were inferior to men in pretty much every single way. Uh, Aristotle came later after Plato, a student, and he believed pretty much the same thing. Uh, fast forward a little bit, uh, as Roman Catholic theology developed, uh, Aquinas uh, believed men to be intellectually superior with few exceptions. Um, even before Aquinas, embarrassingly, I shall say, Augustine had a couple of things wrong here too. Uh, right up until the Protestant Reformation, the general cultural consensus was that women were a problem. Uh, they were seductive, stupid, useless, given to greed and liars by nature. Those are almost direct quotes from certain writers, by the way. Uh, women were, this is, it's kind of funny, you, you think about today, what's a necessary evil? I guess a mortgage, right? Well, back then, women were necessary evils. Um, they were good for making children. They seemed to be quite capable in that area. But essentially, men were flirting with fire were they to get entangled with a woman. That was the belief, uh, the Greco-Roman worldview. Uh, so women were blamed for a whole lot. Uh, especially if a man committed adultery, uh, she was the de facto cause of his woes. He wouldn't have done that if, if it wasn't for her. Only by becoming a nun did, did a woman essentially recover some sense of dignity. That's why the nunneries came on the scene, uh, because of terrible views of women. Because of the ascetic impulse of the Middle Ages, right, escape from the world, retreat from the world, Hide, the men hide in monasteries where they just chant scripture and try really hard not to think about a woman. But that ascetic impulse, uh, because of that, though, true men, they, they wanted to be celibate. They wanted to be living their lives away from women. That's what they believed. But when the Reformation took root 500 years ago, uh, women were elevated to where they should have always been. That is co-image bearers of God. Uh, they were not problems to endure, and any honest man will say, I'm probably the biggest problem in their home. But they were not problems to endure. They were equally guilty for sin, absolutely, and they were equally accepted by God in the gospel. And they weren't just people with wombs. They were dignified image bearers. They were not less than a slave, which was a Roman view. They were God's precious design. Many people, even today, are susceptible to the belief that since Eve was the first temptress, that all women are all this way by default. And that's created a lot of confusion in, in culture. Luther, Calvin, uh, the Reformers, they all rejected, re rejected that view. Uh, the, the woman is man's companion, 
equally bearing God's image, equally guilty of sin, and equally in need of redemption. And as has been noted throughout history, the, the woman was made from, from Adam's rib, his side, to stand beside him and not be trampled underfoot. I think it was Peter Lombard who, who had said that in around the 12th century. Uh, she's not to be treated as an inferior. She is from man's side. So put your arm around her. So what is a feminine woman? If Walsh got that wrong, and he did, what's, what is a woman? Well, let's go to the Word. Genesis 2. After watching God make the garden and giving subsequent instructions on what to do and what not to do, Adam was told to name the animals. He didn't have a companion. God sends him on a zoology expedition. He names the animals, and in verse 20, the text says that there was not found a helper suitable for him. Animals could help man with dominion. It's, it's great to have a couple ox plow for you so you can plant seeds. So they can help with dominion, but they aren't suitable for the dominion that God had in mind. So God put Adam into a death sleep, took one of his ribs, and after closing up the flesh, that's verse 21, Yahweh fashioned or built, the Hebrew word implies he made art. He fashioned the woman from the man's rib, verse 22. And this will be important for Paul's comments in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 7. So having built an isha, a woman, for the man, the ish, she was a flame. She was a light bearer. Uh, we talked about this, if you remember, in our Genesis series. Ish is man, isha is woman, and that, that language implies a flame or a light. They're little lights. So when you think about bearing the image of God, men and women are in the image of God. They're light bearers, torch bearers, maybe you could say, too. But after having built her, God brought her to the man. They had a wedding ceremony of some sort, and he rejoiced in song. She is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Of all flesh and bone, she's superbly and splendidly flesh and bone. She's like man, but better. That's what he's saying in this psalm, in this song, rather. She's a woman. She's not Ish, she's Isha. Her light shines even brighter. Man is the glory of God, but her glory shines brighter, more beautiful. The love song of Adam, that's what verse 23 is. It's a love song. I don't know, maybe he had a guitar invented by then and he, you know, played something. But this love song emphasizes the beauty and adornment that went into God's creative masterpiece. Uh, women are beautiful, pleasant to look at. That's God's design. Um, God made them this way. In other words, um, and I, I said this to the kids this week too, men are not beautiful and women are not handsome. <laughs> so women are beautiful. Men are, you know, kind of... Not that, okay, okay, not that. But this was all God's design from Genesis 2. Flip to Proverbs real quick. Right after the book of Psalms, right before the song of Psalms, the song of Psalms. Proverbs chapter 31, right before Ecclesiastes there. 
Proverbs 31, verse 30, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears Yahweh, she shall be praised. Give to her from the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now, contrary to common reductionistic belief, there's more to a woman than being just a homemaker. People say, oh, what do you do? I'm, I'm just a mom. I'm just a homemaker. There's more to it than that. In fact, Proverbs 31 glorifies women in their true feminine capacities. Um, verse 10, an excellent wife is worth more than pearls. And why wouldn't she be? All of this chapter, you think about what she does. She makes a home. She designs and makes clothes. She cooks delicious food. She educates the children, uh, presumably manages a business in some form or fashion. She gives to the poor and the needy. She even owns property. She grows crops. The text says she plans for the future. So husbands, let your wives run the calendar. They're planning for the future. And the reason that she can be productive is because of verse 25. Strength and majesty are her clothing. She wears on the outside what she's wearing inside her heart. Verse 26, wisdom comes from her mouth. And back in verse 13, her hands are busy with work. She does not eat the bread of idleness. Verse 27, the way to get fruit is to obviously cultivate the root. She's able to do that because, verse 18, her lamp does not go out at night. She's, she doesn't forget to put oil in the lamp. And not only does she not forget, she burns the midnight oil because she's got work to do. She's building a home. She's extremely diligent and productive. She's a multiplier. She's a multiplier. Now, at the core of true feminine well, at the core of being a feminine woman is verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears Yahweh shall be praised. Reverence from beauty is glorious. You think of a beautiful sunset or the sunrise coming over if, if you're at the ocean. There's beauty there. And then that beauty strikes reverence in the heart, or it should, because none of us did that, right? But we, we know that God made it. And so reverence from beauty is glorious, particularly when the reverence comes from sound doctrine and practice. A woman who knows God, fears God, loves God, studies God. And this woman loves her Lord, and thus she is praiseworthy. All of her fruit is downstream from this fear of God. That's why it ends here in verse 31. Give to her from the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. This woman's fruitful life is even known out in public at the city gates. So the godly woman helps her husband, uh, works hard to keep a home, and even if you're not married, that's still a feminine thing to do to prepare for such things. Working hard at home, helping mom build a home for you young girls. But she's a diligent shopper, her family, she keeps her family well-fed, right? She cares about good food and nutrition because good food and nutrition keeps the house well-fortified. Um, she's building warriors in the home. Warriors got to eat, right? The mess hall's there for a reason. She dresses herself and the kids well. She's guilty of being well-read and intelligent, far from women being stupid, as some of them believed in the Roman world. 
Uh, this woman is well-read. She reads books. She's intelligent. Uh, her care for the poor exemplifies her hospitality, because quite literally that's what the Greek word means. To be hospitable is how you treat strangers. How do you treat strangers? She cares for the poor. The abundance of fruit feeds and nurtures the world. So she, she herself is a garden. We'll come back to that. And she grows a garden that feeds the world. So godly women build godly homes with godly impact in the world. Verse 10, she's invaluable. She's invaluable. More precious than pearls, right? Verse 11, she's trustworthy. She's trustworthy. Her husband trusts her. Verse 17, she's fearless. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Now, that doesn't mean you need to bench press 200, ladies, but you can be strong. And verse 21, she's fearless. She's not afraid of the snow like those in Florida. She's not afraid of the snow. That's an inconvenience rightly considered. <laughs> we talked about that from Chesterton last week. She sees the snow and says, Aha, I will make scarlet. I will make hats and gloves. We will defeat the winter. She's fearless. Flip to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 7, real quick. First Corinthians 11, on the second half of that verse, he, the man, is the image and glory of God. Paul says that man is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now, some people read that and say that that's why they're inferior. That's why we should treat them as such. That's a misreading of what Paul says here. It makes sense that Paul would say this. This is exactly what Genesis 2 teaches. He no, doubt, he no doubt has this in his mind. Adam was formed first and then Eve. That's 1 Timothy 2.13. Man is the image and glory of God. Man was the, the firstborn. He was the firstborn creature. But woman who came second is the glory of man, meaning she's the glory of the glory. So men possess the glory and brilliance of God, a dignified majesty and flame that's meant to illumine and radiate the world. But the woman, she's doubly glorious. She's God's image, but with a brighter light. Woman is the glory of the already glorious man. She is, as Calvin puts it, a distinguished ornament of the man. In, in Solomon's language, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Proverbs 12, verse 9. So women are adorned with a beauty, a certain radiance of God's glory. We'll come back to that, but note that there. And then I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm not going to read this, but I'm going to walk through it. <clears throat> 1 Peter chapter 3. This is in the context of marriage, so keep that in mind. But in the context of marriage, women have a very, very important role. Uh, Peter says that the conduct of their wives uh, can win a disobedient husband. 
verses 1 and 2. So your conduct, you can win your husband by how you just simply act. Um, I love the meme. It says, uh, the honey-do list that the man has at home. Your husband will eventually get to that project. You don't have to remind him every six months. <laughs> so you can win, win your husbands. The adornment of women shouldn't be merely external. Verse 3, uh, braided hair, jewelry, and clothing, right? The, the, instead, though, the inner adornment in the heart is what he says is central. What goes on in the heart is central, and a lowly and quiet spirit is precious in the sight of God, verse 4. The point I want to emphasize here is external beauty means nothing if the heart isn't adorned with the gospel, right? And that's, that's where we, have, we need women to be in line with this particular aspect of their femininity. Part of that adornment, Peter says, is illustrated in the holy women in former times, who hoped in God and were subject to their own husbands, verse 5. Um, verse 6, Sarah is used as an example. She obeyed Abraham, even calling him Lord. So, ladies, I dare you, when your husband comes home from work, what can I get you, my Lord? That'll take whatever bad mood he had right away. <laughs> Have a lager, my Lord. Put your feet up. <laughs> Next week, men, report back to me and see how that went. Uh, so women are to be children of Sarah. That's part of Peter's point. Women are to be children of Sarah, doing good and not fearing any intimidation. So Sarah is to be modeled. And that said, the call for husbands is to live in an understanding way, which is a blockheaded thing for us. to We get in our own way, but live with your wives in an understanding way. For the woman, verse 7, is a weaker vessel, and thus she is to be shown honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So if men will not show honor and care and concern, God will not hear their prayers. I mean, that's a pretty tough consequence of God's heavenly sanctions. They are a weaker vessel, which I take to be primarily a comment regarding physical strength. By the way, many commentators fight about that, but I think that's the most natural reading. Men who do not live this way are like sledgehammers, and women are the glass vase. And that is how you can destroy a marriage very quickly, is not living in an understanding way. I don't want to get ahead of myself because the marriage message is next time. But this is, this is key to the relationship of man and woman, especially in the context of, of marriage. So how shall we then live? The glory of men is their strength. Remember that? The glory of men is their strength. We, we talked about that last week. In Scripture, the glory of women is their beauty. The glory of women is their beauty. Central to a true biblical femininity is beauty. And I'll tell you, this is a challenge today, as evidenced yet again by the pink-haired women who ostentatiously celebrated Ohio's recent vote to enshrine abortion rights into their constitution. Uh, when I see them cheering, I just think, you don't know what femininity is. And it's really disgusting, actually. Um, it's, it's disgusting. So to be clear and sure, it's not beauty, and nor is that even protecting women. As we know, it's killing little women, and it's very, very ugly. It's the opposite of beauty. It's horrific. It's horrendous. It's ugly. And what we need to develop in our families and in our churches is true feminine 
beauty, both inwardly and outwardly. Inwardly and outwardly. Uh, we need a theology of, of beauty. The beauty that the Bible talks about begins in the heart. That's what Peter mentions here in 1 Peter 3. It has a certain disposition. Uh, it is lowly and quiet. It is not boisterous and loud. Uh, the woman of foolishness is boisterous. That's a direct quote from Proverbs 9.13. The woman of foolishness is boisterous. Proverbs 9.13. Boisterous Jezebels are loud. They are contentious uh, and controlling. They really, really, really want to know what everybody's up to. They really, really, really want to be contentious about everything, to argue about everything. How do you homeschool? If it's not this way, you're doing it wrong. To give one example of many. Uh, they want to control everything. In fact, one of the foremost things they want to control is their husbands. And again, pastorally, I've seen this ugliness up close. Husbands who, who fear their wives usually do so because their wives control the intimacy and the narrative. Proverbs 21.9 warns, It is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Uh, that's the original doghouse, by the way. It was on the roof. <laughs> Proverbs 21.19, it is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. As we saw last week, the, the chief sin of Adam was what? Abdication. It was abdication. He failed to do, he failed to lead the way he was called to do. He failed to shepherd, to guide, to be mature. So he seized the fruit that they should have had later on when they grew into maturity, but they seized it quickly in their infantile minds, and they thus plunged the world into sin. But the chief sin of Eve was usurpation, taking matters into her own hands. And I don't think... You know, the, the temptation story with Eve, we, we went into detail with that in Genesis earlier this year. But she was deceived. She was deceived. Um, she didn't say, wake up, I'm going to disobey God big time today. That's not how that story happened. She was deceived. The snake, the devil, had tricked her into thinking, well, maybe this snake knows more than God knows. And, and then everything kind of fell apart from there. But she did take matters into her own hands. And the reason the Bible warns women to diligently practice a quiet and submissive spirit is because women are prone to not do those things. Proverbs 30.20 is, is very plain. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. So that's why the Bible warns against certain sins, because we do them. <laughs> we do them. And there are plenty of other sins to deal with, uh, and we're going to deal with these three particularly. Um, sins of the mouth, idleness, and flamboyant display. Um, sins of the mouth, idleness, and flamboyant display. These are what the Scripture warns, particularly warns. And, and obviously this applies to men in many ways too, but particularly with women. Contentious and vexing women... They will ruin their homes, their relationships, and ultimately their reputation. They're always extremely busy, but with the wrong things. These types of women are quick to share gossip, which men can be guilty of too. 
Um, and they are, they're also quick to entice others into the sin. You know, trust them. It's just a prayer request, right? <laughs> I'd like you to pray for so-and-so. Did you even hear what happened? You know, and then we start talking. And, and all of us can raise our hands in repentance. But this is, this is why Proverbs repeatedly warns about the strange and foreign women who, who has an evil yet a very smooth tongue. That's six, chapter 6, verse 24. For the lips of a strange woman drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. Proverbs 5.3. Or Proverbs 27.15. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious women, a woman are like. This is part of the reason Paul calls for women to be silent in churches. Uh, there were boisterous converts who hadn't learned about the quiet spirit. And, you know, that's a text we don't have time to get into, but it doesn't mean that you can't say anything ever. (laughs) But women must be pleasant and not quarrelsome. They must be pleasant and not quarrelsome. Pleasantry involves a bridled tongue, first and foremost. Women can also sin by being idle, as can men, of course. There's a lot of warnings in the Bible about sloth. But Proverbs 31, in this case, she doesn't eat the bread of idleness. She's not a a lazy woman. She works hard. Women are also called to work in the dominion mandate as well, and they ought to work hard at home, spend less time on social media and more time building the home. That's why Paul says in Titus 2 that older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may instruct the younger women in sensibility to love their husbands, to love their children. Why would Paul warn against these things? Why would he want a church to have reverent older women teaching the younger women how to be a quiet, submissive spirit in the home and not a contentious, uh, vexing woman? Why would he say that? Because women in their sin do not want this. Why does the Bible warn against men abdicating their responsibility? Because men are prone to not want that. We're dealing with sin and how it affects each of us differently. Now, regarding external beauty, it's, it's not wrong for a woman to dress up, to, to use some makeup, if you want, or not. Uh, generally, just look nice, you know. Um, you see some things in Walmart. <clears throat> <laughs> Uh, but, but this is a welcomed thing. It's a welcomed thing. And in a proper theology of, of beauty, we do not want to make the mistake of trying to look nice on the outside so as to cover, cover up a gnarled heart. That's the temptation with women in beauty. I'm going to look nice on the outside, but on the inside, my heart, I've got issues, right? What's on the outside should be in line with what's on the inside, And those types of dynamics, especially in a marriage, uh, can be there where you have a wife who wants to pretend to be really, really submissive, but the the husband's abdicating and the woman's controlling everything from behind scenes. That is the de facto position when sin takes root in a marriage. That's what it always boils down to. Um, there, There is a real temptation to want to make the outside of the cup very clean while the inside is full of muck. Some women 
want to entice men with ostentatious display. And they should not. Men have a responsibility to not look upon a woman with lust, to make a covenant with their eyes, Job tells us. You have that responsibility, responsibility, men, you do. And women also have a responsibility to make sure that they aren't trying to grab a few eyes. Modesty is truly a biblical principle, but so is repentance. So women, look good for your husband and no one else. All right? It's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> now, men are to be, to be strong in, in these ways, it's just kind of as a reminder. Men are to be strong in their authority and their rule as head of the covenant, in their sacrificial responsibility, and their leadership and their initiative. Um, that, those are the traits of, of masculinity in a biblical sense. But women are called to strength too, but their strength is in a different way. Uh, this is things like in their submission and help in the covenant. Because men, the, the responsibility falls on us, right? It's our responsibility. But that doesn't mean the woman has no responsibility either. Her responsibility is submission and help, being a help and a companion. Um, she's to be strong in, in obedience and respect and trust. Um, it's easy for a woman to follow and obey a man who knows the Lord well, who is walking with Jesus well. It's easy, is it not, women? It's very easy. It's hard, though, if that's not happening. They're also to be strong in their responsiveness to male leadership. Now, obviously, we're talking about, for the most part, in the context of marriage and family. But the masculine and feminine principles are put in place in creation, but they're also revealed to us in Scripture. And these passages that we've looked at help us with that. So the intersection of masculine men and feminine women lie in those key principles. And the world today wants to erase any trace of these God-designed blueprints. Again, submission and help, obedience, respect, and trust, uh, responsiveness to male leadership. Practicing these things will keep sin far from your heart. When men know their role and their masculine mandate, they do well. When women know their role and their feminine mandate, they do well. And when the church is running on all cylinders, we do well. And we're not doing well right now. And you can trace it back to these things. Now, I said earlier that the woman is the flame of man, the light of man. Women are beautiful. And guess what? They make things more beautiful. They do a better job of interior design. So let them, men. Let them. They want more plants, give them more plants. <laughs> Women, <laughs> I'll give you guys time to sort that out as you nudge each other. Women make beauty and grace manifest. That's what they do. They make beauty and grace manifest in, in whether it's art or clothing, homemaking, among other things. And I like what Rebecca Merkel says in her book, Even Exile. Uh, her book's Even Exile and the Restoration of Femininity. This is a, a quote. Feminine glory is fruitful. It produces, it builds, it creates, and it does so in ways that are profound and staggering and surprising and beautiful and frequently messy and hilarious and ridiculous. Fruit is never, ever tidy, and building things always makes a mess. So keep your eye on the harvest and realize that in this world God made, the mud is an essential ingredient, end quote. Women are, by nature, fruitful. 
by nature fruitful. Women, too, are called to subdue the earth and fill it. And one of the keys to doing that is by building homes. Proverbs 14, verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but the woman of folly tears it down with her own hands. Women are home-building homes. That'll make sense in a second. They're home-building homes. Women literally have a home in their body. They grow humans, they birth humans, they nurture humans, they train humans. Uh, Those humans come along, male and female, to go and do the same thing. She builds her own home herself by cultivating beauty in her heart. She protects her sexuality by waiting on the Lord to provide a husband. And once she has a husband, she protects her home even more by being faithful to him. And when we give of ourselves before we're in the covenant, what do we do? We pollute the home. She needs to be faithful to him. She is to no longer flaunt her womanliness in the eyes of other men. She is now the garden and the husband is its keeper. Read the Song of Songs and you'll see all this language. In Scripture, women are likened to gardens. They beautify themselves most when the weeds of sin are yanked out. Men, too, must help cultivate the garden in their masculine leadership. In fact, Psalm 128, which was read earlier, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the innermost parts of your house. What a beautiful image. In the Lord's timing, the garden womb will bear fruit. God's sovereign over that. Children will multiply and, and they must be trained into masculinity and femininity. femininity. Women, womanhood is naturally moved into motherhood. So women are, are subduers, they're fillers, they're helpers. They, they glorify the home in their maintenance of it. So take off your shoes, guys. Um, they are to be the glory of their husbands and viciously cultivating righteousness in the home. I want to make it uh, regarding child sacrifice <clears throat> to just point this out because it'll help connect the, the main message here. Is there anything more unloving, anti-feminine, and anti-God than torching the womb, which is to be a fruitful garden and a pleasant home for another? Child sacrifice is not only being inhospitable, because women, you are a home-building home. It's not only inhospitable, it is a complete rejection of the feminine call to be that home that builds a home. So when they say, women's rights, women's rights, it's about women's health, women's health, they are taking a torch and burning the house down. They're liars. And it's completely antithetical to the beauty of God's vision for femininity. And I can say with confidence that um, men need, uh, women need men and men need women. Um, oftentimes men, uh, give me an amen if this is true for you, we have a one-track mind capable of processing things in order, right? So if we're being told that there's something coming down the tracks, I, I don't know, I have this to deal with, okay? <laughs> I have this train that's not checked in and unloaded yet, and you're telling me about five things coming down, you know, 60 miles east. 
Can't do it. And this is great, though, for men when we are working hard at one thing and uh, getting it done. You know, we'll, knuckles bleeding, face broken, you name it, we'll do it. But this is also why house projects take a while, right, gentlemen? There are too many things to do. Too many things to do. You can only do one at a time. Women, however, <clears throat> you have a multi-track mind capable of processing multiple things at the very same time. Uh, that's why they can show up and see a friend and continue a conversation that they hadn't said anything to each other in five days. Women also have invaluable perspective. Um, you know, my, my wife has a great gift of discernment, and she has helped me in innumerable ways over the years. Uh, and, and in fact, if it was just left to my own devices, I would be homeless. <laughs> Working together... In marriage. <laughs> it's dangerous going off notes here. Uh, working together in marriage, acknowledging, this is a little bit of a preview for next week. Working together in marriage, acknowledging our gifts and limitations makes for a great home. It really does. Um, aiding in the mission is key and essential. Men are oriented towards the work. Women are oriented towards their man. That's God's beautiful blueprint and design. It's meant to be that way. And the last thing I want to say here is something regarding our identity in Christ. <clears throat> it's important to remember this. Uh, basic to family economics is Christ in us. Christ in you. Christ in you as a man means learning to mimic the Father in his orderly care for the world. The Father is a cultivator. He sends the Son Remember the, the vineyard parable? It's the father's vineyard. The son sent in, they kill the son, right? They're going to take the vineyard. The garden language, it's Eve, Eden all over again. But you're to mimic the father in, your, in his orderly care for the world. And it also means following Christ in a bleeding sacrifice for others. And for men, Christ in you as a man means being sober to the things of righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, women, Christ in you as a woman means trusting the Father and His adoption of you as a daughter with an immense calling. It also means obeying Christ in submission, which is your role in marriage is to mimic the church's submission to Jesus Christ. But it also means being guided by the Spirit so that you look more and more like the feminine woman you've been called to, inside and out. But that's what the gospel does. It is an efficacious gospel for men and for women. And for a woman, the gospel takes root and adorns her with grace and beauty and fruitfulness. The heart of her husband trusts her for that very reason. The man makes her more and more lovely as they together cultivate righteousness in the home. And women, you are important and you matter. You are essential to this home-building calling. And God has called you to a great calling, like the men are called to a great calling. And we all need the grace of God to sustain our work each day. And I just want to end with this exhortation from Merkel's book again. She says, So be the glory of your husband. Be the concentrated, intoxicating, incarnate poetry that tells the story of death and resurrection, and then throw yourself into the task of glorifying. Be fruitful. Build your house, work hard, be ambitious, be productive, learn more, run harder. 
Take the gifts God has given you, the desires He has given you, the constraints that He has given you, and then figure out how to weave those into something glorious, something compelling, a beautiful aroma that can't be contained and that beckons a broken world to come and taste, to see that the Lord is good. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches. And we would ask that your Holy Spirit would implant within us this truth that we would all learn from what your word teaches so that we can better align with your sovereign plan for us as men and as women. And we would ask and pray that you would strengthen our hearts, strengthen our minds, gird us for action. May we live for your glory. May we not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. And we ask, Lord, for your church to be strengthened in righteousness. Through Christ our Lord we pray, and amen.